Good morning. Let me add my welcome to those you have already heard. I'm Pastor Linda, one of the pastors here at Cornerstone. We're entering into the fourth week of Jonah with the series titled, The Grace of God for All People. Pastor Danny started us off with the prayer, Dear God, I am like Jonah, make me like Jesus. As we looked at Jonah's refusal to obey God and go to Nineveh. Pastor Bill then led us through Jonah's prayer while he was in the belly of the fish for three days, which is recorded in chapter two. Jonah, along with him and us, examined worthless idols versus God's steadfast love. And last week, Pastor Holdren brought us through chapter three and the discovery of unexpected lessons of God's grace, including God withholding the punishment of the people of Nineveh after they repented. Today, as we enter into that last chapter of Jonah, what happens after the people of Nineveh repent before God? If you joined us last week, you know Pastor Hojin left us with chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong, and he became angry. Hence the title of this sermon, When We Are Angered by Grace. And as we journey into what happens next and what God wants to reveal to us, we need to turn to the Holy Spirit for open hearts and minds, ready to wrestle and to receive. Let us pray. Father God, we ask for your presence. We know that the only way that we can be open to hear and learn and wrestle with and grow from your word is to have open hearts and open minds. So Holy Spirit, be present in us be present in our homes while we do that. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. I want to thank Dana for reading Jonah chapter 4 for us today. An interesting end to this book, don't you think? At this look at this bit of time in the life of the prophet Jonah. I always wonder what happened in his life before or after all of this. For all other prophets, we do know a bit more about their lives. And we certainly hear all their words of prophecy for some, we follow them for years and years, but not Jonah. Just one story, very few words of prophecy. You gotta wonder, but I digress a bit, but I believe that tells us that this story about this prophet is different than the others. With the reading of the whole book over the last month, we see that Jonah is a unique prophet as the book is not about his message at all. Read it all this afternoon if you want to review it or you missed a week. Knowing the full context does help in the learning from this last chapter. It's not really about a fish or the people of Nineveh or even a plant, but it's really about God's grace and his relationship with Jonah, a prophet. As one author describes him, consider Jonah one of the most prejudiced, bigoted, openly rebellious and spiritually insensitive prophets of scripture. Other prophets ran to the Lord, he ran from him. Others declared the promises of God with fervor and zeal, not Jonah. He was about as motivated as a 600 pound grizzly in mid-January. I love that. In this last scene we experience with Jonah, what can we see and learn about Jonah's relationship with God? I believe we will see that when we are angered by grace, when we react in anger to God's grace to others, God will call us out on it. God challenges us 
gently to change and be in a journey to align closer and closer to his heart. Looking at God's words in this passage, his questions will be key to our understanding of this. Verse one to three. First, we see Jonah is grieved, angry, furious even by the grace and compassion of God. So the people of God of Nineveh had repented. God decided not to punish them and Jonah was angry. It is interesting to note that the word angry appears five to six times in this chapter, depending on your translation, in just 11 verses, verses one to three. But to Jonah, this seemed very wrong and he became very angry. He prayed to the Lord. And now I'm going to switch into the tone of voice I think Jonah would have used. Is, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. A God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. With this, we now know why Jonah ran the other direction when God called him to Nineveh. We aren't told that in chapter one, just that he disobeyed and headed in the opposite direction. Now we know for sure. He didn't want them to repent because he wanted them to be punished. He hated the Ninevites because they were so cruel to so many people groups, including Israel. Fear, prejudice, extreme nationalism could easily be factors in Jonah's disobedience. We see the attitude of his heart led to Jonah's actions. When we disobey God, what are our reasons? No, not reasons, excuses. Not enough time, money, or skills. Or more like Jonah, we don't like those people. I don't understand those people. I don't want to help those people. Fear, prejudice, no matter how self-justified we feel, it is still disobedient. This isn't the focus of the sermon today, but certainly could be a sermon in itself. I encourage you the next time God asks you to do something and your immediate reaction is, oh no, thank you. Pause and examine why, why that was your initial reaction. Talk to God about it. Take the space to really self-examine. Have a trusted brother or sister in Christ to help you examine your reaction. In this way, we will bring our lives closer in line with God's. Jonah reveals that he has the head knowledge about God, but the character of God with grace and compassion to all people, Jonah did not truly understand. Actually, he didn't want to understand. The character of God had not made it to his heart. Jonah is saying to God, it is better for me to die than to live knowing my enemies have repented and have been saved by your grace and compassion, that my enemies have not been killed. Since you didn't kill them, kill me. Then we hear from God, his first question. And God's questions are extremely important in this passage. In verse four, but the Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry? God calls on Jonah to examine his anger. God always knows how to get at the heart of our wrath, of our hatred, our racism, our very strong emotions. He asks a question. Is it right for you to be angry? 
Questions are always an effective way for God to get people's attention. God in the Old Testament and Jesus in the New Testament and the Holy Spirit with us today. See, Jonah is like the older brother in Luke 15, the parable Jesus told about the prodigal son. When the prodigal son returns, he is unconditionally welcomed home and forgiven, and he gets new clothes, a ring, a feast. And Jesus says, the older son returned from the field, learned what was going on, and gets angry and refuses to go in and join the party. He gets angry when the father, full of grace and eagerly, unconditionally, welcomes the prodigal son home. Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah appeared quite content to be the recipient of God's grace in the belly of the fish when it spit him up on dry land, when God saved him. But when it comes to his enemies, no way. How can God show grace to Israel's enemies? Theologically to Jonah, he cannot see. How can the God of justice allow evil and violence to go unpunished? He missed the God of grace to all people. The real problem here is his heart. He would end his relationship with God for his real love, his love of nation and his hatred of others. And he would choose between the security of Israel and his loyalty to God. He's pushing God away, love of country more than the love of God. Jonah had so much hatred, racism against the Ninevites that he did not want to be in a world where they still lived. Tim Keller in his book about Jonah says, as long as serving God fits into his goals for Israel, he was fine with God. As soon as he had to choose between the true God and the God he actually worshiped, he turned on the true God in anger. Jonah's particular national identity was more foundational to his self-worth than his role as a servant of the God of all nations. The real God had been just a means to an end. He was using God to serve his real goal, his real God. Now we heard a few weeks ago in chapter two in Jonah's prayer, this is what Jonah knew when he was in the fish, but he'd forgotten by now. Jonah said, those who worship vain idols forsake their true loyalty. And that's what Jonah has done. His anger reveals his true loyalty to his people, to his nation, not to God. He revealed he was worshiping the idol of Israel. See, God calls me and he calls you to examine your anger. Looking at why we are angry, what we're angry about, leads us to reevaluate what is important and grow beyond it. Or it reveals what our real idols are. We must examine and explore where our anger comes from. Is it from idols? Our self-image? our hurt feelings, our bigotry and racism, jealousy. Take the time to pause and evaluate with the Holy Spirit's guidance. This is the only way to find our way through anger or we'll be stuck in it like Jonah. How do we move beyond anger to grow while we wrestle with it and find a way through it? Oh, there's lots of scripture that helps us. One is Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Put away from you all bitterness and wrath and anger and wrangling and slander together with all malice. And this is what we replace it with. 
Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Because Jesus sacrificed himself for us and God has forgiven us, we can live without anger, live in God's grace, and live out God's grace to others. The more we learn about Jesus, we are to grow up into being like who he is, his example, his teachings, the more we are kind, tender-hearted, forgiving, pushing away bitterness, wrath, and anger. Jonah doesn't do this. When God asks, is it right for you to be angry? Well, Jonah doesn't answer God, but he leaves the city and sits on a hill to watch for the destruction. Though he knew God had forgiven the people, he kept hoping their destruction would come. Instead of rejoicing with the people he came to save, helping them move closer to God, he goes up to the hill hoping, still hoping for their destruction. Jonah is angry at God, angry at the Ninevites for repenting, and angry at just about everything. So verses 5 and 8 tell us what happens before God speaks again. And this brings us to another action of grace towards Jonah. Two weeks ago, Pastor Bill shared about the first time God provided for Jonah. And that was when he had the fish swallow him and save him. He told us, wait till chapter 4 and we'll see God provide again. Not because Jonah had earned God's grace, but because grace is God's character. He provides a leafy plant to shade Jonah in the sun and the heat. And in the midst of Jonah's discomfort, in the midst of Jonah's anger, God is present. In the midst of our anger and our discomfort, God is present. This is the only time in this book we hear that Jonah is happy. This angry, disappointed, disobedient, bigot of a prophet is now happy because of a plant. Yet by dawn, a worm had eaten the plant and Jonah was hit with sunshine and a hot wind. He was angry again. It's time to hear and learn from God's next question. Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? Jonah, examine your anger and examine your compassion. Jonah cared more about his personal comfort and his idols than the people of Nineveh. And he cared more about the plant than the people of Nineveh. There was no compassion in Jonah, no grace. And too many of us are more occupied in our own comfort than burdened over the needs of the world. Compassion that God calls us to is beyond sympathy and beyond empathy. There's this great quote from a book I want to share with you. It's called Compassion. It's by Henry Nouwen, Donald McNeil, and Douglas Morrison. And this is the compassion that God calls us to. It's not bending towards the underprivileged from a privileged position. It's not a reaching out from on high to those who are less fortunate below. It's not a gesture of sympathy or pity for those who fail to make it in an upward pull. On the contrary, compassion means going directly to those people and places where suffering is most acute and building a home there. God's compassion is total, absolute, unconditional, without reservation. It is the compassion of one who keeps going to the most forgotten corners of the world and who cannot rest as long as there are still human beings with tears in their eyes. 
It is the compassion of a God who does not merely act as a servant, but who expresses the dignity of God through servanthood. God's question. It's the first time Jonah actually answers one. When God asks, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is. And I'm so angry, I wish I was dead. This is a third time in this chapter Jonah wishes he was dead. So God has a quick follow-up question. You have been concerned about this plant, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. And should I not have concern for the city of Nineveh, the people and the animals that I created? And should I not have concern for the city of Nineveh, the people and animals that I created? God corrects Jonah's lack of compassion and clarifies his own love and compassion. God calls, examine my grace. Compassion here is powerful. It's to grieve over, to be heartbroken, to weep for. It's a language of attachment, Tim Keller puts it. Real compassion, the voluntary attachment of our hearts to others. It means that the sadness of their condition makes us sad. It affects us. That compassion, that grace of God, is what he did when Jesus Christ came to earth. As recorded by Paul in Philippians 2, 6-8, Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to become obedient to death, even death on a cross. That is God's grace. That is God's compassion to us, sacrificial love. That is what no one at all were talking about. Here we see God's righteousness and love working together. He is both too holy and too loving to either destroy Jonah or to allow Jonah to remain as he is. And God is also too holy and too loving to allow us to remain as we are. When we examine God's grace revealed through his compassion, we can start to align our compassion and our grace with his. Only through God's scripture and revelation in Jesus Christ can we honestly and authentically examine our anger and discover our idols that mean more to us than following God does. Only by seeing God's grace and compassion can we examine our compassion and keep adjusting to be more in line with God. Tim Keller identifies that a mark of those who have been immersed in the grace of God is compassion and love, not contempt for people who aren't like them. Examine your anger. Examine your compassion. Examine my grace, says God. And after this question from God, it ends. We turn the book, we turn the page in the Bible going, what, that, there's nothing else? We look for a word or an action from Jonah. Does he go home? Does he repent and go into the city to guide them towards God? Does he just sit there and die? Does he go back to a boat and head to Tarshish? Nothing. It feels like someone has ripped the last page out of a novel. This story, this question, 
needs an ending. We are somehow left unfulfilled with no ending to the story of Jonah and his relationship with God. However, this God question requires an answer from Jonah. More than that, it appears that these issues are too deep, too personal, to permit anyone other than the reader, the listener, to provide the last word, Eugene Peterson puts it. You and I have to answer this question. The question is one we are forced to answer for ourselves. Examine God's grace. Examine yourself. It forces us to contemplate our personal destiny. What is our relationship with God's word? Do we hear it? Do we listen to it? Let it change us, change our anger, share it with others. What is our relationship with the world? Do we engage with it, go to it? Do we have compassion for it? What is our relationship with grace? Do we soak in God's grace, learn from it, desire it for others and bring it to others? As now in McNeil Morrison say, in companionship with Jesus Christ, we are called to be compassionate as our loving God is compassionate. In companionship with Jesus Christ. This is the only way to transform. I have this great other book that's called Big Butts of the Bible. It's a funny title. Yet it actually is a very thought-provoking look at when the word but is used in Scripture. Like at the beginning of this chapter of Jonah. But to Jonah this seemed wrong and he became angry. After the author's examination of Jonah, she summarizes how we are to react to God's questions. It is an obedience and attitude and of acknowledging that God is God and he knows best and does best whether we agree with him or not. It is running towards God always and in all circumstances, no matter what he asks of us or where he asks us to go and to do so joyfully, trusting him to do what is best and right. That is our goal. This is our goal. It is an obedience of attitude and of acknowledging that God is God and he knows best and does best, whether we agree with him or not. It's running towards God always and in all circumstances, no matter what he asks of us or where he asks us to go and to do so joyfully, trusting him to do what is best and right. Trusting him to do what is best and right. We are called to hear God and answer him. Examine your anger. What are your idols? Where is your racism? Examine your compassion. Where are you clinging to comfort instead of going? Examine God's grace as the foundation of those. We are called to live it out, the grace of God for all people. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you challenge us. You challenge us to examine ourselves, to see where our anger comes from, where we are not providing grace or compassion to others and why. What are our idols? What are we making more important than loving you and following you? 
Lord Jesus, may we continue to grow and align with you where your grace is. May we enter in. And may we bring grace through our words and our actions. A grace that we can only do, live out, when we have been forgiven. And we are full of the grace that comes unconditionally from you. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you. We live in gratitude for this. Amen. As we continue in worship today, we're going to now hear from Jennifer Chung, Chair of the Leadership Team, followed by Pastor Bill, our Head Pastor, on the future of Cornerstone. It's exciting times. <laughs> 